The following presentation was recorded at the Buddhist Society of Victoria, Malvern East, Australia. Please visit our website at bsv.net.au. Uh, so this evening, just to uh, introduce, uh, well, we've already had the introduction, so very good. And of course, it's New Year's Eve, so it's always uh, the change of a new year. Is, is a time for reflecting on the year that's been and what we're looking forward to. And this year has been a very tough year for many people, hasn't it? For the world, really, it has been a tough year um, because of COVID, because of all the restrictions, the lockdowns, and many, many deaths that have occurred worldwide. And still, uh, we have, of course, the future coming. We don't know what, uh, what will happen with the Omicron uh, variant as well. So it's, it's been a very challenging time for many people. And of course, and also in terms of the economy as well, problems with the economy. And uh, a friend of mine from New York suggested that uh, maybe what we could celebrate tonight is the end of 2021. <laughs> that it's finally coming to an end, and to look forward to a better, uh, much, uh, much better 2022. So, but I must admit, from the point of view of um, many, uh, many monks and nuns, and also lay practitioners, 2021 hasn't been that terrible for us, you know, because in actual fact, we've uh, spent, had more, t reduced a lot of the contacts we've had, and, uh, also had the, the involvements have been reduced and had more time. Many people have had more time to practice Dhamma, to read Dhamma, watch, watch Dhamma, and to meditate. So in some ways, for many people, 2021 hasn't been that bad um, uh, for them. So you sort of feel guilty when you say that, because <laughs> most people have had a very difficult time with it. And we are very, very lucky, uh, thanks to... Uh, the, uh, techno uh, the technology team uh, that, and many throughout the world as well, offering Dhamma on the internet. So in actual fact, I think people have had more exposure this year to Dhamma than they may have had before and had more time. And one of my friends in Sri Lanka, she said that, she, she said that without Dhamma, it would have been very hard to get through this year because... This, when we have the Dhamma, we can practice the Dhamma and we have the view, we have an understanding about reality, about the nature of life. And so that's very helpful for us. And also we can develop in the meditation uh, some peace, we can develop compassion, we can develop loving kindness. So, and it makes one think, doesn't it, that uh, many people don't have this. They don't have the Dhamma to, to reflect on, to make sense of what's happening in our lives, what's happening in, on the planet now. So the theme of this talk is really, what are the lessons we've learned from COVID-19, from these COVID times? And I think everybody has probably come away with a different lesson. I, I should imagine many people have got very many different le uh, lessons. But I think for all of us, it's been a pretty much a reality check, <laughs> a very tough reality check, because we've had to confront a lot of uh, 
sickness and death, maybe not immediately in our experience, but at least through the news. And also for many people too, being uh, isolated, uh, having to uh, have the restrictions of a lockdown, that's quite, that's quite a, a challenge for them. As I say, for many practitioners and meditators, it's an opportunity. <laughs> it's not a, not a challenge. But of course, what, what we're being taught by COVID-19 is, is really the classic teachings of the, the Buddha, the t- nature of reality. And of course, the, the main teaching, of course, when we think of, uh, of the death, sickness, is a teaching the Buddha gives on impermanence. This is going to be, this is the nature of reality, that there is impermanence. And there is the, that everything is subject to change. But we've got it very much on very full experience of it, a very uh, focused experience of it. And it's, it's challenged us because most of the time, we, we, if we deal with sickness and death, it's usually not on such a scale as this. And, um, and also it's brought with a, this quality of anicca, this impermanence is uncertainty and unpredictability, which really has people on edge quite a lot of the time. And I think one of the main themes I've seen from 2021 is expect the unexpected. This is what uh, impermanence is teaching us, to expect the unexpected. And also it's been teaching us this year very much, hasn't it, about unsatisfactoriness. We've really found uh, uh, that things are not the way we like, they're not what we're used to. We often hear people saying, uh, oh, when it goes back to normal. (laughs) And, you know, and this is because we can't do the things we want to do. We can't visit those those that we're close to. We can't go on holidays quite often. And, uh, but like uh, Anicca in permanence, when we contemplate, when we reflect, on uh, unsatisfactoriness, the effect that it can have if it goes deeply is to let go, to accept what's, uh, what's happening. And of course, the last aspect, and this is three characteristics, isn't it, is that it's, uh, this uh, COVID-19 has taught us a lesson about it's not personal, it's non-self, that we aren't the owners of these bodies and minds that we think we are, Nature owns them, and this is what we're seeing uh, at the moment. And we can't necessarily control things as we would like to, but we, but we, Hank, we can choose how we deal with it, whether we deal with it in a, a, a positive way or a negative way, whether it's a lesson for us or a tragedy. And so there's so many teachings that we are getting. I mean, everything really is teaching us, and uh, this is a something that Ajahn Chah taught uh, very, and it's, it's something you can see. If, you are, if we are looking at life from the point of view of what we can learn from it, what can we understand from it, uh, then everything that we experience, the, the good things and the, the not-so-good things, are teaching us, teaching us about patience and tolerance, teaching us about the power of views. We're seeing the power of views because of COVID, 
you know, the many different conflicting views over vaccinations, over restrictions, civil liberties, everything. And it's also teaching us, I hope, kindness and compassion. And I think that's come up, and equanimity, that's come up for many people. So, but this evening I'd like to focus on, the aspect that I'd like to focus on is acceptance or equanimity, that's my translation for equanimity. Because every year, we have, usually we have a theme for the, the New Year's Eve. Every year, it's a, some positive emotion we can develop, some positive emotion we can bring to the new year. And that's so important that we develop you know, the positive, the wholesome in our lives and reduce the negative, unwholesome. And so this is why I thought of acceptance this evening, because very much so, we have to accept a lot of the things that are happening. Uh, we haven't... We cannot change them necessarily at this time. And uh, so equanimity or acceptance is, is, is an emotion that is very useful to focus on. I think um, it is something very appropriate for these times where everything sometimes seems out of control, doesn't it? <laughs> and when you just think, like every so often, don't we, we, we think, oh, now it's just turning the corner. And then a change occurs, like, like right now with Omicron. We're thinking, ah, it's all going back to normal, and now we're not sure. So, so this is very important to, to uh, develop these positive emotions. And as I said, acceptance is actually an emotion. It's, it's a feeling and it's a, that comes from this equanimity. And it's a sort of unconditional, fear, uh, unconditional acceptance. And it's one of the four... Supreme, four supreme emotions, this is what Ayakima called them, the Brahma Viharas. And of course that's metta, kindness or loving kindness, friendliness I like, and of course mudita, uh, karuna, which is compassion, and mudita, and which is happy, joy for others' success and good qualities, and equanimity, which I translate more like as acceptance. Uh, ec- the word for equanimity is Upeka. Our chief nun at the monastery, that's her name. <laughs> she should be giving this talk. But uh, it literally means looking on. Uh, but it's looking on with wisdom, from wisdom actually. It's coming from wisdom. Uh, looking, on, looking on from wisdom with kindness and warmth. So it's a, And it's a feeling of allowing things to be, a feeling of making peace with what we're experiencing. And that's always easy when it's pleasant. <laughs> but it's not so easy when it's unpleasant, as it is now, isn't it, with COVID-19. This is not the way we thought it would be at the New Year's Eve on 2021. But also equanimity has a sense of balance in it as well and the feeling of letting, letting be. And, uh, so it's this very important uh, quality that has patience in it too, and also forgiveness as well, and uh, some and compassion. And it's very important to realize that it comes from wisdom, wisdom, understanding how things are. I always say, when we understand a situation, sometimes we can get very upset about situations I have, but when I've understood what's going on, wow, it's not a problem at all. It drops away. So 
we can, we can say that what isn't acceptance, so, so what isn't acceptance? And it's not, because quite commonly people think it's indifference or coldness. You know, you're looking on like a, um, a surgeon or something like that. No, it's not an indifference or coldness. It's not coming from controlling and it's not coming from judging. That's very important, actually. And it's not rejecting uh, ourselves, others, situations, and not rejecting life. So, so these four supreme emotions are a very important aspect of the path. And you can see them, you know, working together. Usually when the Buddha taught the, uh, the four supreme emotions or the uh, four divine abidings, Brahma-viharas, he taught them together. And so you can see them in, uh, say, in a parent's love. You can see how they work. That a parent, for instance, will have kindness and friendliness for their children, be there for them, have compassion for when they have difficult times, and also be happy, really joyful for their successes or very good qualities they develop. But also, many parents feel this is quite a big part, acceptance too, uh, that their children will have their own life, their own, uh, and discover things in their own way. So I know some people will say, you know, well, if you accept everything, does that mean you can't change things? And of course, that's not the case. And it reminded me of my mother used to, when I was uh, young, my mother used to have a poster in the toilet. <laughs> This is very common, probably still is very common. And she had this serenity prayer, it was called. And I thought, there's a lot of wisdom in this one. And it said, may I have the serenity to accept what I cannot change, the courage to change what I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. And that's pretty good, really. It's a, it's a very wise saying. Because often we don't realize what we can't change. <laughs> and that's a big suffering in our lives. And if you think of, say, for instance, COVID-19, there's a lot of things we can't change with it. But uh, people try and it gives them a lot of suffering. But what can't we change? And the present moment is one thing we can't change. It's here. It's arrived. So there's no way we can re-present the moment. We can't change others. Everybody tries that, don't they? But they realize it's impossible. And the, the other thing we can't change is nature. And of course, this is the basic conditions that apply in existence. And of course, again, these three characteristics, impermanence. And we see it in old age, sickness and death, unsatisfactoriness, uh, or dukkha. And we see that life is uh, a process, a process that's uh, fed by cause and effect, non-self. The other thing we can't change, usually people say, is taxes. And you usually have taxes and death together. <laughs> those, those things you can't change. But what can we change is, of course, the future by living the present, the present moment well. If we live the present moment well, then the future will be of a similar nature. Because the essence, isn't it, of the Buddha's teaching is this developing the causes for these things to happen, for the future to be positive. And this we can do this by accepting things as they are now, but it doesn't mean that they can't change. Change is always happening. 
but we want to <laughs> wanted to go to the positive. So, and we can change ourselves by developing causes for changes, uh, not just wishful thinking. We have to develop those qualities that will bring change for us. And, of course, we can bring about change in society too, particularly if we do it in a really positive way. And I like, uh, I think it's a very good summary of, of, of what I'm talking about, actually, which is from Byron Katie. And she, she mentions the three kinds of business. And I think it's good, easy to remember, actually. It's nature's business, our business, and others' business. Pretty, pretty good summary, actually. And the only one we can do, take care of, is our business. <laughs> the others, we, we, we can't change. We can, we can influence. Of course, we influence other people by the qualities we develop. And that can, that can bring about change for them. But we can't change them direction, directly. So how do we develop um, uh, acceptance, this quality of acceptance? And of course, as I mentioned, it comes from understanding, understanding how things are, and that they come about because of uh, karma, actions of body, speech and mind, that have conditioned um, the way we are. They shape us, they shape us, and they make us who we are now, keeping in mind that who we are now won't be necessarily who we are tomorrow or the day after. It's an uh, ongoing work. So understanding this changes a lot, the understanding karma. And I know from my own experience, I'm sure all of you here have had this experience of where you've, we've, uh, we've experienced a situation and we have a, a view about this situation and it may be quite negative, actually. And this happens to me, happened to me quite a bit in Sri Lanka, where I'd misunderstand what people told me because of the language. <laughs> and, and then I'd find out why they did something or what was going on, and it would change everything. And you could really accept, and what, the, what happens, you accept, and then it falls away, Let's, you let go. So it's very the essence of acceptance or equanimity or upeka is this karma. And it's always good to reflect on uh, what the Buddha said about karma, that we are, all of us, the owners, each of us, <laughs> the owners of our own karma, of body, speech and mind. And for some people, I think, when they hear body, speech and mind, it, it doesn't really uh, hit home that it's the mind that really shapes our experience of the world, how we see the world, how we see ourselves, how we see others. And you realize when you, you know, from our contact with each other, how different our view of the world can be. And it's coming from this mind that's being conditioned uh, by, our own, by our own actions, by our own speech, but particularly by the mind and also other influences, which I'll mention in a minute. And also, when we are the owners of uh, our actions, we're responsible, aren't we, for what we do, say, and think. So it uh, puts, puts the onus on us. And we are the heirs of our action. And so that implies we get the results of what we do, say, and think. In Australia, we have that idea of what comes around, goes around. And this is very much 
the uh, what this is pointing to that, uh, that what we are creating actually our, our world as it were out of these results that come about and we are born from our actions so they shape our personalities and this is the actions of body speech and particularly the mind again and our actions are like our relatives so they're very close to us and they're like our shelter they can be a refuge but they can also be a torment actually and whatever actions we shall do whether for good or bad we will be the heirs and of course we're in, into this mix of uh, our actions of body, speech and mind, there are so many influences and conditioning uh, aspects. Our parents, you know, have a big influence on us. Um, we would say in Buddhism, our past life too. And I think uh, many parents uh, will say when their children are born that they have a character uh, they, uh, that they're aware of already, you know, at a very young age. Of course, our teachers major influences in our lives and our religious and spiritual beliefs too. Of course, all the friends we have, that they influence us very much. And the society we live in, it's very, very, it's wonderful to live in a Buddhist society, like I spent uh, almost 14 years in a Buddhist society and live in Australia different ways of looking at things, different influences that you see. And the time that we live in, too, is, has a big effect on uh, shaping, uh, shaping us and the media, too. So we can see that uh, there are a lot of differences that we have, but there's so much we have in common. I think this is... You know, human beings have, have a lot in common. We have, <laughs> we have a Nietzsche, Dukkha, and a Natta, for sure. And, uh, but we are a, sort of a unique combination of qualities. And uh, so, so it's really, when we look at each other, we are very, often we judge and compare, don't we? But actually what we're judging and comparing are not like things. I say in Australia we have this saying, like cheese and chalk. <laughs> we're not. So it's not uh, possible to really judge and, uh, and compare ourselves to others. And I like what Ajahn Chah said in it's a, it's a book of his called A Tree in the Forest. And he said, the essence of our practice is to watch intention and examine the mind. You must have wisdom. Don't discriminate. Don't be upset with others if they are different. <laughs> Would you get upset at a small and crooked tree in the forest for not being tall and straight like some of the others? That would be silly. Don't judge other people. There are all varieties. No need to carry the burden of wishing to change them all. If you want to change anything, Change your ignorance to wisdom. That's a wonderful saying, isn't it? Wonderful saying. So that's what um, equanimity, what this uh, acceptance is about, seeing these differences and being able to accept them, uh, the variety, uh, realising that the reason that people are as they are is because of their past, their conditioning, the influences they have, the views they have. This can make a big difference. 
And uh, one of the uh, experiences that I had some years ago when I was living in Sri Lanka, in fact, living in a cave, which I lived in for eight years, was I was doing a, a retreat. And this over, it was very strong sort of feeling or insight came. And it was that everything belongs. It was really uh, quite striking for me. Everything belongs. And it included the things that I liked, I disliked, the things that were uh, perfect in my estimation or were imperfect, all the same. And whether they were pleasant or unpleasant, uh, this, this, uh, everything belongs. It was a very, a very unifying experience, a very peaceful experience too. But it brought this uh, sense of acceptance too, you know, that accepting everything as it is and not judging or discriminating not comparing. And of course, when you have a mind state like that, it's leading towards um, the mind uh, being one, actually, as it were, because we're seeing oneness outside. But it brings peace too. Because when we can accept ourselves, when we can accept others, and when we can accept uh, life as it is, situations as they are, then we come to peace with them. Then we uh, stop fighting with them. So I'd just like to just briefly uh, give a taste of that experience that I had, which is to me the essence of uh, acceptance. When you feel like everything belongs, it's accepting uh, the situation as it is at that time, at that moment. So I'd like you, if you'd like to join in to close your eyes, and to just come into the present moment for a very short time, just to get this taste of uh, everything belongs. And we can let go of the past and future and leave them outside with our shoes. And just feel how the body is. And relax the body from head to toe. And we can bring to mind everything belongs in the present moment. Everything belongs in the present moment. Whether it's perfect or imperfect, you don't have to rearrange the present moment or improve on it or judge it. And everything belongs in the present moment, whether it's pleasant or unpleasant, or neither. Just aware of whatever we're experiencing, with this feeling of everything belongs. And we can notice that, uh, perhaps we can notice a feeling that comes up when we have this. 
by the air, everything belongs. And we can, as we breathe in, we can breathe in, everything belongs in this moment. And as we breathe out, we can be aware of everything belongs in this moment. And we can make the aspiration to remember to develop this acceptance, accepting ourselves, others, life as they are, and to anchor this feeling of everything belongs in our heart and mind. So we can just open our eyes, and that was just a little bit of a, a taste of because we'll have a meditation after this, actually, later this evening. So I wonder how that was for you, if you were able to get a feeling for... When we have that feeling of everything belongs, it opens the mind up. You know, we don't have to judge, we don't have to um, uh, compare anything. So I hope it gave you that feeling of everything belongs. And... One of the areas that we find most hard, isn't it, to accept? What do you think is the hardest area to accept? Death, yes, death is very hard to accept, yes. I think many people find that hard. But I was thinking more of accepting ourselves. Sometimes we really, we really, we might be a bit more accepting of other people, but of ourselves, we can be quite, um, quite critical and quite uh, uh, unaccepting. So, how do we accept ourselves with all our shortcomings? And I know I had a, uh, another experience in Sri Lanka that I thought was quite. It was. It taught me a lot. Actually, it taught me a lot. And that was when I was, again, when I was living in that cave, but it wasn't, didn't happen at that cave, actually. And uh, I was feeling a bit negative about myself, a bit down on myself, actually, and judging myself. And uh, I was uh, in, of course, where the cave is, is in a forest. And where I was, this wasn't at the cave, but it was also in the forest. And then I saw this beautiful um, wild chicken uh, on a branch, and uh, in Sri Lanka, I did, they have these wild chickens. They call them Wali Kukala, Wali Kukala. And it's a national emblem of Sri Lanka, but it's a beautiful bird. It's very colourful. It's got these gold, orange, black and blue feathers. It looks a bit like a bantam chicken, but bigger. That's what I think, anyway. And they're usually very shy. 
And, uh, but they're not the same as ordinary chickens, of course. And this wild chicken just flew down from this branch. But the way it flew down, and this is coming from my perception, actually, with that mind state, was how totally present this uh, wild chicken was and how totally at ease and uh, this feeling of totally belonging as well. And uh, it was just totally at home, no, no, no problem at all. And uh, it's, it gave me this sense that everything is a part of life. It's, it, whether we judge things as some things being more special than others, but everything is contributing to life, just as it is. And what I learned from this experience was that uh, made me realise no need to judge myself, no need to compare with anybody else or what I think uh, I should be achieving, no need to be different, no need to be better, no need to compare oneself with others, no need to justify one's existence, just complete acceptance and to being, it is enough just to be oneself, myself actually. And the feeling came, what a relief. <laughs> and I thought this was a great lesson, just in presence really of this uh, chicken. And of course my perception, you know, somebody else seeing it may not have that perception, but it just seemed so at home and just, just part of it, of everything. So I think this is something that we can apply to ourselves and realise uh, that we don't have to justify our existence. We don't have to be super useful, super capable, or, uh, or need to be special. This is one of the things. There's a big suffering for people. They have to be special, have to be different. And we have to be intelligent or clever uh, or talented and in some respect, um, or appreciated, admired, all those things. We don't have to be any of these things because we are all part of life in this present moment just as it is, just like that chicken, that wild chicken in Sri Lanka. So just being ourselves is our gift to this moment, <laughs> just as we are. And one of the qualities that I find very uh, um, inspiring, actually, it's one of the qualities I find very inspiring about Ajahn Brahm, is just being natural and being natural, and I'd consider that sort of real, really. Just not, nothing, don't have to be anything special, just to just being natural, just being yourself. So this can teach us to accept ourselves without any conditions, without any conditions. So, so this, is, this for me was uh, quite a teaching in how, how to accept myself, realizing that we are just all part of, the, we're all part of this. And we're an integral part, really. Everything is playing its part in this moment as it is. And one of the other things that uh, is hard to accept, and it's, I touched on it before, is that it's hard to accept when things are unsatisfactory, when they're not the way we want. Um, and how do we deal with that? And of course, this is the teaching of uh, COVID-19 writ large, actually, and it points to the fact that life is untidy. It's not the way we want it to be uh, often. Sometimes it is, isn't it? But the thing you notice with that 
then it changes. Either what we consider to be perfect changes or the thing that's perfect, the person that's perfect, they change. <laughs> so this is, this is part of how this unsatisfactoriness unfolds. And of course it's uh, the, uh, the Buddhist teaching on dukkha. And of course, uh, sometimes, as I mentioned, the unsatisfactoriness can be ourselves, it can be others or life situations. I saw a wonderful sign when I used to go on arms round. I used to go on arms round down to Carnegie, just down the road here from the Buddhist centre when I was staying here. These days, it's not so possible <laughs> with COVID. One of the shops had this sign, imperfection is beautiful. <laughs> and I thought... Would I shop at a shop like that? <laughs> but it's actually true. I mean, that's how life is. It is imperfect. And uh, due to change, uh, everything will, will change. From whether, even if it is perfect, it will change to uh, something that is not to our liking. So I'd like to just ask, what lessons have we learned from COVID-19? Maybe you've learned some of these lessons. Maybe you've reflected on some of these aspects of Dhamma. Because when we reflect on life uh, from the point of view of Dhamma, this is Dhamma Nupassana, really, reflecting on how things are in a more universal situation. And we can develop wisdom from that into the nature of life. That nothing lasts, uh, that change is uncertain, that it's unsatisfactory and imperfect. And it's not personal, it's a process. So I hope that we can learn to accept ourselves and others and life as it is. And also to keep in mind what I started with. Everything is teaching us, uh, as Ajahn Chah said. But he had a condition. He said, but... There's always a but, isn't there? <laughs> Life's like that. But we have to be good students <laughs> to actually learn from our experience. And this is uh, what uh, Dhamma helps us do, actually. Because we develop the mind through meditation, we develop the mind through our uh, practice of ethical behaviour, of giving, we develop the mind by reflecting on life. So everything is teaching us, but we have to be a good student. And a very important ingredient is too, it helps very much to hear the Buddha's teaching. We're so lucky to have that teaching that points us at the nature of reality so that we can investigate it, not to take it on, uh, to take it on faith to a certain extent, enough to actually investigate it, to look into it, and then to penetrate it for ourselves, see if it's really true for us. Because in the end, of course, it's for, it has to be our direct experience. What the Buddha saw is his experience, his wisdom. So what we see, what we develop, will become our wisdom and our insight. And let's face it, we have got plenty of opportunity with COVID-19. It's giving us a lot, of, a lot of opportunity to really reflect on life. And we have, to a certain extent, much more time to reflect on it because uh, of things like lockdowns and so on, and isolating and social distancing, all these sorts of things. 
So it's a very good opportunity to learn from what we're experiencing in uh, due to COVID-19. So thank you very much for uh, that. And perhaps if anyone has any questions about that uh, talk about acceptance or equanimity or upeka, if anybody's got any questions, comments, or complaints, you don't accept it. <laughs> Yes, Actually, we've got yes. two questions online. Yes. Thank Actually, you. One, one of them is a request Yes. Uh, from Germany. Yeah. Uh, we lost one of our best friends this week unexpectedly oh, wow. due to yeah. cancer. All oh, right. Okay. We are all very sad. Can you please put out a blessing for him and wish him well? His name is Gerard. Gerard, right. Gerald. Gerald. All right. We will at the end of the um, evening at 12 o'clock our time here in, in Melbourne we do the sharing of merit, we're dedicating a merit to those that have passed away. Um, this is dedicating all the goodness that we have done in, uh, in the past. Uh, often we do it by offering things to the Sangha, but any goodness that we do. And so that can be dedicated to Jared as, a, um, uh, as, as an offering to him. A There's something that can bring happiness to him, actually, if he can be aware that people are thinking of remembering him and uh, wishing him well and uh, are doing things, good things in his name, in his memory. So this can, this can be very useful. And it's very, very useful for the living, actually. <laughs> it's one of the very positive aspects of dedicating merit is that it really supports the person who's doing it because often people feel... What can I do for someone who's passed away? You know, my grandfather, my partner, my brother, my sister, my child. And of course, this is something they can do. And it, make, it, it is a sort of a healing thing for a person. If they feel they can do something for somebody who's been a dear, very dear to them and has passed away. And uh, so this very, very, very useful thing to do. We can do that for Gerald. Gerald. Yes. Gerald. Thank you, Ajahn. Thank you. Uh, second question. This is from Sweden. Oh. So we must be in the wow. right time zone for Europe yeah, because we don't get say, these questions is... from Europe in the morning. Yeah. Um, I have bugs in my plants that are killing them uh, from the roots. To, uh, yeah. From the roots to save them, I have I have to kill the pests. I feel really bad, and I don't want. I don't want to, yeah. um, and I don't want to lose all the plants. Yes, it's is a, there anything you can say about yes, that? Yes, I think this is a this is a common dilemma actually, because we, of course, the essence of Buddhism is not harming, and of course, the first uh, um, precept of the five precepts is not intentionally killing a living being. Of course, you know sometimes we will, you know, accidentally kill a living being. But this is intentionally killing, killing a living being. And it's very interesting, we have the same, same dilemma at the monastery. It's life, isn't it, really? We have a nice uh, Bodhi tree. This is a tree that, the, uh, it's not the actual tree that the Buddha was un enlightened under, but the same species. It may be related, actually. Um, and it has got spider mites, which are killing the, the actual tree. And so they've put it outside and 
one of the monks is putting vinegar on it to, to persuade the, the spider mites to go away. And so we do what we can do, you know, to try and not kill them. But of course, in the end, we have to make a decision uh, about that, whether we will actually um, kill these spider mites or whatever, uh, or whatever it is this, uh, these plants have. But if it is the best if we can avoid killing living beings because every living being, like ourselves, does, wants to live. It doesn't want to die. Um, eventually it will die. But if we can avoid it, that is, that's a very good thing to do. So it's always um, an ethical dilemma, isn't it, how we, we, we uh, can manage this. You know, we do it as best as we can in this imperfect world. You know, for one thing, you know, like sweeping up ants and taking them outside. That is possible. All these things are possible. And to look for ways that we can actually, for instance, rid the tree of the, of the pests that are attacking it. For them, it's food and uh, uh, the plants. And uh, find a way that can drive them away without necessarily killing them. It would be the ideal, and sometimes we can do that. I know in the tropics where I lived, there are so many insects, so many, life is full of them. And I would come back to my hut and find an invasion of ants and spend days sweeping them out. And you do your best when you sweep them out too. But sometimes when you're sweeping them out, they'll get killed because, you know, just sweeping them out. They'd be in their bed. They'd be in everywhere. <laughs> and uh, if, so you just sweep them out and do your best. You don't intend to harm them. And, you, uh, and certainly I, I didn't have that intention, just to sweep them out or take them away, further away from the, uh, the actual hut that I was living in, the cave I was living in. So we just do the best we can, I think, and... Uh, uh, that try to the deterrence if possible, that's great. You know, there's some things that actually, um, you know, are repellents. Call them repellents, you know, and you have these insect repellents. So maybe you can try some of those on the plants and, and see if it repels them, yeah. But in the end, we all have to make our own uh, decision about that, yeah. Thank you. Thanks very much. That's from Sweden. Sweden. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there's one more question um, online, Ajahn. We've just yeah. got a couple of minutes to go. Are you okay to take that question? Yeah, yes, certainly. Okay. Um, how, do we, how do we have the wisdom to distinguish when to accept and when to change? How do we have the wisdom to uh, between when we accept and when to change? Yes, yes. Yes, that's the essence of that serenity prayer that I mentioned, you know. May, uh, may I have the, the uh, serenity to accept what I can't change and the, and, change what I, and the courage to change what I can and the wisdom to know the difference. It's exactly the point. And so we look at the things that we can't change and uh, as I mentioned, you know, that summary was very good. We can't change... Um, Nature is the way it is, the nature of things. And we can't change others, but we can change and influence ourselves. We, we can't change the present moment that's already arrived. It's just as it is, and uh, so that is, that is established. But we can change 
uh, how we regard what we're experiencing, and that will influence the future. So I think um, <clears throat> when you have a look at what you can't change, if you realise you can't change things, uh, then this is the time for acceptance. And it does take uh, quite a bit of wisdom because, you know, when things are not the way we want, uh, we often do try, try to change them um, and uh, it doesn't necessarily work and then eventually we'll come to acceptance out of that experience. We learn, don't we? We learn from our experience. And I think anybody that's been in a relationship <laughs> knows changing the other person. Dead loss. <laughs> don't try it. Don't go there. But you, everybody tries. And when they do try, they find out from their own experience. This is not, to, not the way to do it. But, of course, we can influence other people to change. But it's more by inspiring, more by an example, not by telling them what they should do, how they should be, but more by one's own example. And uh, that can influence people. We can inspire people by, in that way. So I think this is, a, this is a good question to be able to differentiate between what we can change and what we can't change. And uh, focus on the, the one thing that we, we often don't focus on, ourselves. <laughs> we change, then the world that we experience, the relationships we're in, they can change, actually. And that's, the, that's where a lot of the change can be driven from, is by the work we can do on ourselves, our own understanding of ourselves, other people. And a big, a big thing that can change uh, in a relationship I've seen it in my own experience, actually, too, is accepting the other person. Sometimes when we don't accept the other person, that creates a block in terms of them being able to move on, be different, change their own way. So when we accept another person, that can change the dynamics in a relationship big time. So, so I hope that helps. It's not an easy, easy thing to, uh, to discriminate, to work out. Thank you very much. Thank you, Ajahn. There, there is one more question. Oh, yeah, we're right. past uh, nine forty. Yeah. We just we one. Yeah. All, all right. right. Can, okay. It's just very brief. Yeah. Uh, so this one is: uh, if we accept everything as it is, mm. how do we actually go about changing things that we don't have control control over? Is non-acceptance an impulse to change parts of our lives that we need that need changing? Right. If if we don't have control over something, then that's something uh, we, uh, we, we can't change it, perhaps, but we can change our attitude towards it, the way we regard it, the way we respond to it. That's what I would say in that case. And what was the second part of that? Is non-acceptance an impulse oh. to change parts of our lives that need changing? Right is non-acceptance. It, it, it depends on where we're coming from, really. If it's coming from a negative, uh, a negative uh, or an, a defilement, an unwholesome state of mind, uh, from fault-finding, criticising, uh, comparing, uh, um, uh, this sort of non-acceptance is not very helpful. In fact, I would say, if we don't accept ourselves, we can't really change uh, how uh, the qualities that we have. 
that non-acceptance will be a block for us. I think that's a very, it will be a stumbling block. If we can really accept ourselves as we are, then change is possible. Then change is possible. Then we're open-hearted towards ourselves and we can change. But I, I think, um, you know, we're so used to fault-finding and criticising and all this stuff that it comes, sec- it comes very naturally, actually. It's so conditioned that we can, you know, we can fault-find with ourselves to the nth degree and we should be like this. And everybody, many people will be making New Year's resolutions tonight based on this, these faults that they've got to fix. And will they fix them? I don't think so. <laughs> I think one week's time they'll be, oh, who cares? <laughs> doesn't matter you know but if they can really accept themselves now I think that's 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 because acceptance has this quality of friendliness of kindness of openness and when you when we are like that then change it can happen then change can happen but when there's all this fault finding going on and criticizing I'm it, it, it doesn't help that much it doesn't help at all actually so I hope that was uh, useful, and thank you very much. Now it's, uh, I think, the time for... Ah, a very, very important time. <laughs> not for you, not for us. Though. And this is going to be the supper. I think it's supper. Uh, so I'd um, like to invite you for a supper for 9... It's 9.40 to uh, 10.30, so that's... Um, about 40 minutes, isn't it? So, Where is the supper? Is it? Oh, it's over, the, over next door, all right. right to proceed. Yes, monastics, you're all invited to, to go over next door and outside um, there will be some supper, so that's great. And we'll meet back in here at 10.30, is that right? Oh, I think that's... I don't have the program in I've front of me. I've got the program. Yeah. It says circumambulation at 10.30... And uh, when, uh, when we come back, we can talk about, I'll mention what a circumambulation is. Sounds, sounds, sounds very sweet. Yes, that's, yeah, they've got them over there. Oh, right, they're over there, are they? They've got the flowers, tea lights, and incense sticks will be given to each participant. They must be over there. These will be placed on the platform of the Buddha statue outside at the end of the circumambulation. So we get a bit of exercise as well. So, All right, so please have a nice uh, supper and uh, uh, spend time with each other too. Thank you very much. And accept each other. <laughs> Thank you. And if everyone can just wait until the Sangha exits the room before leaving. Yeah. Thank you. And for those who wish to, we can just pay respects to the Buddha, Dhamma and Sangha as we go.